Today we are starting a new series entitled uh, The Hometowns of Christmas. And over the next three weeks, we are going to be taking an in-depth look at three specific places um, where the Christmas story took place. And we're going to walk through the story and look at some of the different characters, but we're going to highlight three of the different towns. Now, we're going to jump right into it this morning so that I can kind of set the stage for you. And here on the screen, you're going to see Luke 1, verse 26. And this is what it says. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, the town that we're going to be seeing this morning, you can see a picture of it, is the town of Nazareth. And you can see it's right over here, quite a little bit in the middle, a little bit off the water. And you see, modern-day Nazareth, if you were to go there today, has a population of about 77,000 people. And just to put that in a little bit of perspective for us, Catoosa County currently has about 67,000 people living in our county. Okay, so we're a lot more spread out, but they're a little bit bigger. And you see, Nazareth is actually the biggest uh, town and city in the northern region of Israel. Now, if you were to look at the religious demographic of what is in modern-day Nazareth, about 70% of the people there are Muslim, and about 30% are Christian. And if you study Nazareth and you see what some of the books say about it, it's a pretty unimportant town. Even though it's right there in the center and it's the biggest, it, it, it's, there's about 200 other little towns that surround it, and there's really nothing that separates Nazareth. So if you were from this place, you would be referred to as a Nazarene. And this is actually a term of contempt. And this signified that something was worthless or beneath. Now, in John's gospel, one day Jesus of Nazareth was starting his ministry, and he was recruiting people to be his followers. And two men by the name of Nathaniel and Peter heard this message of Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel actually looked at Peter and said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, the funny thing is, Nazareth really doesn't even play a huge role in the nativity story. But I want to give you a little in-depth look on the town of Nazareth. You can see it here. You see, the word Nazareth comes from the Hebrew word netzer, which means a sprout or a shoot or a branch from a tree that has been chopped down. And it too was something to be held in contempt. So when they would chop a a tree down, a, a netzer would sprout up from the tree. You see, the reason why a netzer was held in contempt is because it had no use. It was small and insignificant. So that's how we get the connotation of being a Nazarene as unimportant. Now, you may be wondering, okay, Joseph, you're talking about um, Mary and Joseph in the book of Luke, and why we turn to Isaiah. Well, I'm glad you asked. If you have opened your Bible, look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. It says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now you're like, okay, okay, that's a cool thing, but what's the tie-in? You see, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew, you can flip to the next one. The Hebrew word, oh, just kidding, my fault. The Hebrew word that's used here for shoot is the same word netzer, the same word that's used for Nazarene. Netzer, something that is held in contempt, 
worthless. So Isaiah said, hey, there's going to be a shoot, and it's going to come from the stump of David. Now, here's the neat thing. I don't know if you realize. Yes, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Luke is in the New. There's about a 700-year gap between the writer and the prophet Isaiah and the time of Luke in his writings. So you might be reading like, who's the shoot from the stump of Jesse that Isaiah is talking about? Friends, can I tell you today? That he's not talking just about a random person. No, he's talking about the future coming of the Messiah 700 years before he came on the scene. That's pretty cool. He says there will be a shoot and it will grow from the stump of Jesse. And think about this imagery here. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Think about it. When Jesus came to the earth... People despised him. He was the tree of life that man tried to chop down. He was despaired. And he is the shoot that Isaiah is speaking about. So this morning, we asked ourselves this question. What good can come from Nazareth? Today, we're going to take a look at one of God's most faithful servants and an in-depth look at the life of Mary. So now that we have read that, if you would flip over, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be spending a bulk of our time in Luke chapter 1. And the reason why, I could have just showed you that on the screen. But you see, here at Burning Bush, we don't just want to have a great concept of a message and throw a verse on it. No, no, no. We want to walk through the scriptures. We want to teach you how to study God's word for yourself, how to trace and tie it all back together. And this passage we're going to read today, it's got a few really neat things. So we're going to start in Luke 1, verse 45, but before we get there, let me set the context for you for the, the first half of the chapter. So Mary is walking one day, and an angel by the name of Gabriel appears to her. This is what he says. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. He said, Mary, I don't want you to fear, but you are going to conceive of a child, and his name is going to be Jesus. And we all know the story. She's like, whoa, that's not possible. Okay, I'm a virgin. I'm not married. I live a pure life. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come over you, and you're going to be impregnated with the Son of God, and you're going to have immaculate conception. But he said, don't fear, Mary, because the Lord is with you. And then he also said, he said, your cousin Elizabeth, who's a little bit older than you, she is pregnant also. She's a little bit further along than you, and she's going to have a baby, and his son is going to be named John, who we will eventually know as John the Baptist. So Mary is so excited. You know what she does? She takes off. She runs down to uh, where her, her sister or her cousin lives in Judea, and she goes to see her cousin. Now, all this baby talk, I, I did, did not have that uh, in my mind of how I was going to go, but we are expecting our second child, super excited, and it just so happens tomorrow we're finding out the gender. Now, we have one girl, Bree wants a boy, I'm kind of in the middle, I don't care, so I just wanted to see if I could get a, get a feel of what everybody's thinking. If you think we're going to have a boy, raise your hand. If you think we're going to have another girl, raise your hand. Oh, another girl, looks like y'all are helping me pay for two weddings. So Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, and she's so excited to share the news with, uh, with her. Here's what happens. She walks in the door, and before she can even get a word out, Elizabeth, 
I'm, I'm telling the truth here, is filled with the Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, but the Spirit of God fills Elizabeth, gives her a revelation, and shows her what is going on. So she immediately knows that her cousin Mary, too, is pregnant with the coming Son of God. And she starts speaking a blessing over her. And these two, they just come and they embrace and they hug and they start to, to weep and cry and thank God for all that he's doing. And you know what they end with? They worship. In times of despair and stress and in times of joy, what should we do in life? We should worship. You know, if you look at the whole context of the scripture, in both Old and New Testament, many times when God would perform a, a mighty act or a miracle, people would burst out into song. We have the song of Moses. We have the song of Hannah when Samuel was born. David wrote a whole book, the Psalms, the songs that he has. And yes, you're wondering, is Mary's song, Mary Did You Know? I can promise you it's not it. I love Mary Did You Know, but it's the most overplayed Christmas song of all time. Can I get an amen? Now, I love these memes. Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. Now stop asking. And then this one got me. Mary, did you know? Anyway. But I hate to tell you, Mary's song was not Mary Did You Know. The title of the passage this morning is actually the song of Mary the Magnificent. This word, magnificent, is the first word of the song in the Latin translation, and it's where we get it from. So as we walk through this song this morning, I just want you to pay a little special attention. Because, man, this, this passage, I have never really paid attention to it, to be honest. And it is so biblically rich. You'll see so many similarities um, from the song of Moses, from the song of Hannah, and from the song of David. And you can tell that Mary is a seasoned Christian. So... May we stand and honor the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 45 through 53. If you don't have God's word, it'll be on the screen. It says, Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant." Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with the good things and sent the rich away empty. You can be seated. So verse 45 is actually in the previous section, but I loved it and I wanted to add it in here because if you could summarize Mary's life in one sentence, it would be this. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill her promise. Mary is the ultimate picture of a faithful servant of God. Now this next part, verse 46 I got to be honest with you, when I came across this passage this week, I mean, the Lord just rocked me. This is one of these things, like I read it, I went to Billy's office, like, man, this passage is blowing my mind. Like, how have I never seen this before? Like, it just undid everything that I thought I knew about my relationship with Christ. And listen to what it says in verse 46. Let's walk through it again. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I want you to paint a picture in your head, because this is what I had to do. I was like, what does she mean? 
Paint this picture when I read this again. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So I began to think through this this week. I was sitting in my car and I was like, okay, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, I got my physical body, my, my physical that everybody can see. But if you want to get to the inner depths of who a person is, like at the very bottom of their cup, of, of what creates their thoughts and how they act and the things they say and how they respond, at the deepest part of person, it's two things. It's our spirit and it's our soul. We know that this body is just a shell. And when our lives come to an end, and for those of us who are believers, we see the Lord. Our body will stay here, but our spirit and our soul will go up to heaven. So she says, my soul and my spirit magnify the Lord. This word soul and magnify the Lord. So the word magnify is used 15 different times in scripture. And you can see the, the Greek word up here, uh, megalino. It means to praise, exalt, magnify, and to glorify. Now we know that the English version of the word magnify means to enlarge, to make bigger. So the first point this morning, and we're actually going to re reframe them. Normally we have points, but today I want to ask you three questions that I want us to ponder on. You can see the first question here this morning. What are you magnifying in your life? I want you to ask yourself that question. Today, as we sit here during a pandemic, at the beginning of December, what are you magnifying in your life? So I was going down this mental journey. I was trying to put all this together in my head. I was like, what's a great way we can illustrate this and, like, and, and visualize it? I was like, I got it. I can go get a magnifying glass. And I was like thinking, okay, magnify, like my soul magnifies the Lord. So it's like if I put a spiritual magnifying glass and everybody could see my soul and they saw the Lord. And I was like, okay, it makes sense in my head. And then I was like, let me apply it to Mary's context. My soul magnifies the Lord. And I was like, oh, the problem is magnifying glasses magnify small things and they make them bigger. You see, the problem is God is so much bigger than a magnifying glass. Like, he can't even compare how big he is. And I was like, well, there goes that. So, so what can I use now? And then all of a sudden, aha, I came up with it. A telescope. Whoop, if I can not knock it over. A telescope. What's the purpose of a telescope? It's to take something that is so far away, a star, the moon, something that is so big, and it puts, us in a, puts it in a little picture so that we can visualize how big it is. So then it all started coming together in my head. I was like, okay. What Mary's saying is she's saying, hey, look, my soul magnifies the Lord. So metaphorically speaking, when people look in my telescope, I don't want them to see me. I want them to see him. My soul doesn't magnify myself. My telescope magnifies Christ. You see, folks, as followers of Jesus Christ, if someone were to look into your telescope today, I gotta ask you this question. What would they see? If someone were to look inside your life, maybe this is a coworker, a family member, or a neighbor, and trust me, these people are looking. If they were to get a peek inside of your life and your soul, what 
would they see? You see, for something to be magnified, something else must simultaneously get smaller. So they're taking a peek in your telescope. What are they going to see? Are they going to see everything's about you? They're going to say, man, that person's got a lot of money. They've got a nice house. Got a nice car and a nice career. No, I can't see you, Danny Conkle, but I appreciate waving. What are they going to see? Are they going to see all these earthly things? Or are they going to see spiritual things? What are we showing in our life? Are they going to see how God has transformed our life? They can see the old person, but now they see the new person. What are we showing them? So I begin to ask this question. What does it mean to magnify Christ in plain man's English? How do we do this? You see, folks, we can't magnify something that we are not seeing ourselves. That means we can't magnify Christ to other people if we don't see him ourselves. And this isn't just a one-time picture. No, this is a daily thing. We are called to daily surrender to God, to daily pray and ask God's spirit to fill us. We're called to daily Read God's word so that it can purify our mind. It can transform our hearts. How do we do this? I love what the Apostle John says, a phrase that we've all heard. He must increase, but I must decrease. Man, what a simple but yet profound statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. What does that mean? You know what that means? That means more of him less of us. More of him, less of me. But God, I, that, that requires faith. That requires trust. Joseph, my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. My voice should be louder than your voice. You know the, the toughest one in life? Our will should not precede his will. So many times in the Christian life, we're in this spiritual tug of war. You think marriage is the hardest game of tug of war? No, no, no. It's the battle of flesh and spirit. And we, here we are pulling on what we think's best. God, I want this to happen. I want it to be my way. And then we have this, the spirit and the will of God pulling against us. And the whole time, we're trying to take control from God. When really what we should be doing is dropping the rope, coming on the other side, and instead of pulling against the Spirit, we need to pull into the Spirit, pull into the will of God, get our guidance from Him, not ourselves. So she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Catch that last word. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That represents the fact that Mary is a follower of God. Jesus hadn't come yet and died on the cross. But the Pentateuch in the Old Testament writings gave them a picture of what salvation looked like for them. And whatever it was, she had it. She was a believer in God. So she's rejoicing because God saved her. She knew the scripture. She was walking with the Lord. And you probably say, well, Mary, of course you're rejoicing. Like, you have the Son of God in your womb. Just imagine that. Like, Baby Jesus is in your body. But friends, if she was here today, I imagine she'd say something like, those of you who are Christ followers, you look at me, Jesus was in my womb, but you have him in your body too. He's in your soul. He's in your spirit. 
and you carry him also. Magnify. What are you magnifying? Look at verse 48. Let's continue in the verse. Why does Mary magnify? Verse 48 says, Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. For all you Bible wizards out there, pay attention to that he has. If you're an underliner, I hope you underline my soul magnifies. But then this phrase he has is used eight different times in this passage when referring to times that God has blessed her. It says he has blessed Mary with this. Eight different times. So as we're walking through, see if you can pick out which ones they are. So we see God choosing Mary. He says, Mary, you might not, feel that important. You might just feel like a lowly Nazarene, but Mary, you have a special calling on your life. I choose you. Why, God? Why do you choose me? Because of your humble spirit, and I will be mindful of you, and I will regard you, Mary. She says, I'm a nobody, God. He says, it's okay, because you're carrying a somebody who's going to be the savior of the world. Mary said, all right, if, if, if I'm going to shine my light on something, I'm going to shine my light on something that's greater than me. When people look at my telescope, I don't want them to see me. I want them to see how great and mighty and how holy God is. Look at the rest of verse 48. It says, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. She says, Lord, I'm, I'm not trying to get the attention on myself, God, but I'm trying to put the attention on you. Look at verse 50. It says, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. So the question, it's the second question that I want to ask ourselves this morning is this. Do you realize the depths of God's mercy and do you fear him? Look at this verse again. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. How do we define mercy? Many of you define it as the game that you played when you were a teenager with your brother or sister and you're trying to break the other one's hand. Ah, oh, whoever gives that first, mercy. But you see, this is what spiritual mercy looks like. It's when God shows pity and compassion and kindness to us and toward his people. I love the way... Titus writes it. He says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. The writer in Hebrews chapter 4, 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So mercy is a picture of the gospel, okay? Because if we all gained what we deserved, we would all go to hell because we are, we are separated from God. We are depraved people. We are sinners. But the scripture says that mercy is available to all the generations. It's available to every man, every color. But check this last part out. It's available on those who fear him. But what is, what is this idea of fear? Okay, there's a few different types of fear. I want you to think back to when you were a kid. What was the thing that you were the most afraid of? Raise your hand if you were the most afraid of going to the dentist. Anybody? Okay, like two of you. Raise your hand if you're afraid of snakes. 
Okay, if you raise your hand and you go, if you're afraid of clowns. Oh, whoa, clown. They, they can be a little scary. So that's, a, that's one type of fear, right? Like your, your trembling fear, like, oh, get that thing away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Then there's another type of fear. If I were to ask you to describe your parents, you say, man, I love my parents. I love my mom and dad. But I have, let's call it a healthy fear of mom and dad. They were the great, they were great people. They loved me, but that, that wooden paddle that they had in, in the kitchen and had holes, like you had a healthy fear of mom and dad. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, yeah, yeah, you remember. That's the type of fear that we're talking about here in the Bible. We're not talking about like the af- afraid fear, no. I love what the writer Solomon says, who's the wisest man ever. This is, this is what he says in Proverbs. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He says, friend, you might be smart, but there's someone smarter than you. Wisdom basically says, hey, you don't know everything, okay? You need a little bit of help. You don't have all the answers. And this word fear is used 30 different times in the scriptures. And the Bible teaches that fear leads to wisdom. Sometimes in life, folks, I myself am guilty of this. We become just a little bit flippant or cavalier or comfortable in our relationship with God. Maybe we come into his presence in prayer and we just kind of rush through. We don't really think about what we're saying. Maybe we take his name in vain. And we just become a little too comfortable. And friends, can I tell you, while he is a God of love and he is a God of grace, he is also a judge that will not be mocked. I love what King David says. King David, a person who has had his run-ins with God. He's a man after his own heart. This is what he says in Psalm 103. He says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Parents in the room, grandparents in the room, people watching at home, it is our duty as overseers and shepherds of the ones that are coming after us to show them what it means to magnify Christ, to show them what it means to have a humble and a reverent fear of who God is. God will not be mocked. Friends, we as Christians must seek the approval of God and not the approval of man. And can I be honest? This is one of the toughest things we struggle with in today's culture. You know why? Because the way the world sees success and the way God sees success are totally different. We want our telescope to be the coolest one on the block. When people look into our telescope, we want them to see all the things that they want us to see so that we can gain the world's acceptance. But may we not seek the approval of man because let me tell you, friends, it's fleeting and you'll never reach it. But may we see God's approval because there's going to come a day when you and I, we're going to have to stand before the great white throne of judgment, before Judge King Jesus. And we're going to have to give an account for the life that we lived. We're going to have to give an account for how we shepherded our children and our children's children. May we fear the Lord. Look at verse 51 as she continues in Psalm. It says, he has done a mighty deed with his arm, and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry 
with the good things and sent the rich away empty. I love this phrase when it refers to God's arm. And this is a frequent Old Testament term that was used a lot. And really it was a symbol of God's might. But what we see Mary do is we see her categorize three groups on who God would show mercy to. Verse 51, he'll show mercy to the humble. Verse 52, he'll show mercy to the lowly. Verse 53, shows mercy to the hungry. And the people she's referring to are the common people. You see, the common people during this time, they didn't have much, a very high status. They were sought as lowly people. So if they ever had an injustice happen to them, they couldn't just go to the court system and, and stand before a judge. No, 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 they couldn't do that. So what Mary saw was she took a step back and she saw what God was doing. She saw the Lord turning everything upside down. Think about it. The weak are dethroning the mighty. The lowly are being exalted. The hungry are being fed. So the third question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. In your life, do you value what the world values or do you value what God values? See, this is so important because what you value is what you will give your time to. Friends, if you take a step back and look at this text, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of his ministry. Think about it. Who did Jesus come to seek and to save? The lost, the lowly, the hungry, the lower status. You see, the Nazarenes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these people, they thought, the world thought it was about the, the most important or the richest and uh, the best looking and the highest of status and all these things. But God, he says, I don't care about that. You know why? He cares about our heart. And he knew that those people, that their love would never be for him because they were in love with who they were. They were in love with themselves. They were in love with all the things that the world offered them. We see sprinkles of this all throughout the New Testament. James chapter 4 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Luke 4 says, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry because you will be filled. And Matthew tells us, he says, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom. Now is it bad to be well fed and wealthy? No, it's not. But it's bad when those things Rule your heart. And these are the people that Jesus came to seek and to save. So what do you value today? What are you magnifying in your life? You might say your list of priorities is God and family and friends and work and all this. But does what you say match the life that you live? You know, as we conclude this morning, if you were to flip over three chapters to Luke chapter 4, you would see... The section headline, Nazareth Rejects Jesus. You see, just a few short years after this, when Jesus is a little bit older, one day he walks into the synagogue. And he goes and he grabs the scrolls. And you know what he does? He actually grabs Isaiah's scroll, the scroll that we read at the beginning. And he starts reading the prophecies that were made about him. But see, the people that were among him, the Nazarenes, they didn't know it. And he starts going through all these lists of things that were to come. And essentially, he looked at the people and he said, I am he. The people lost their minds. You know what they did? Instead of embracing the hometown hero, one of their own, Jesus of Nazareth, 
They started screaming and mocking him, and they threatened to throw him off a cliff. So this morning, we see two parallels. We see a parallel of one Nazarene who said, you know what, I'm going to magnify Christ with my life, and I'm going to put God first. And then we see another parallel. People that seek things of the world, just like the Nazarenes that tried to betray Jesus. What are you valuing in your life today? Friend, what are you magnifying? When people look into your telescope, what do they see? Can I tell you what I want people to see when they look inside my life? Friends, I want them to see the shadow of the cross because God calls us to die daily. He says, for you who have followed Jesus, you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives within me. May they see the cross in our life. May they see the blood that has washed over us, forgiven us of all of our sins, the blood that is making us new. May they see God's mercy in our life. May they see the goodness of God in all the ways that God is blessing us. Today, magnify him in everything that you do. Fear him in a loving, in a reverent way. And value what God values. I'm going to ask Eddie and Liana to come up for a second. And as I was reading through this passage this week, I just began to ask myself, I wonder what Mary's song sounded like. And just me in my car driving, I just had a time of worship. And I'm going to ask Eddie and Liana to play something that if I had to guess something, what Mary's song sounded like. So as they sing this song of Mary, would you just sit and just kind of receive this word that the Lord has for us? Let this hymn of praise wash over you today. Sing for us. My soul, my soul, magnifies the Lord, my soul. to sing it again but this time I want us to sing it over you today this blessing this song of Mary I want them to sing it over your life and as they're singing I want you to have a moment with the Lord evaluate your life worship Christ magnify him sing it again my soul my soul magnifies the Lord in your life he has done great things he showed you love and mercy forgiveness Jesus we magnify God may our life point people to you God we worship you
I'm going to ask that you stand with me.